All right, ladies and gentlemen, Orange and Black Soccer Cast, and we are back with a new episode. Dylan and I and the rest of the fellas from County Line Coalition that made their trip up to Reno, we survived the freezing cold. We survived some rubbing alcohol type drink that they like to drink up there. And I guess luckily the team and and we and us, we survived the almost defeat and we came away with uh, at least a point Orange County did. This is the Orange and Black Soccer Cast. We are underway in the postseason, the first playoff game ever played in Orange County. It's a one to Godoy. He's found a great ball into Voltsen. Plenty of time. He smashes it off and doubles the visitors' lead. Thomas into Voltsen. Now Segber sprinting forward on the counterattack. A little handsy there. Crosses it. Pineda, the extra pass. Seaton finishes. It rolls down to his left and burying aside. All taken care of by the Orange County keeper. We'll leave it for Aiden Quinn. He'll strike towards goal, and it's gone in! An equalizer and a winner in second half stoppage time for Orange County on the left boot of Aiden Quinn. This is the Orange and Black Soccer Cast, the only podcast dedicated to Orange County Soccer Club, its fans, and supporters. Follow us on Twitter at OCSC underscore soccer cast and on Facebook at Orange and Black Soccer Cast. How's it going, Orange County? Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Soccer Cast, the first and only podcast dedicated to Orange County Soccer Club, its fans and supporters. I am your host, Ray Samora, and I am with you each and every episode as we discuss all things Orange County Soccer Club. Joining me as he does each and every episode, my trusty sidekick, we've got Dylan from County Line Coalition. Dylan, how are you doing after that wonderful trip up to Reno? Uh, I'm doing good. Um, my liver's recovered and my throat's recovered. Um, and I, I'm pleased that I've gotten a little promotion to, to trusty sidekick around here. So I think I have to update my resume now. Uh, and... We'll get into the details a little bit more later, but the the bigger question is, how is your knee doing after that uh, trip up to Reno? Um, so it's it's actually both thighs. Um, I've got four bruises that are probably about the size of a fist on um, inner and outer of both thighs. Um, they're pretty purple right now, and and they hurt a good amount. But we made the flight, so I'm not I'm not going to complain too much. So we'll get into more details on that. So if you're really interested on why Dylan has these big bruises on his thighs, I guess both thighs is what Dylan said there. Uh, you'll have to just listen to us and 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 continue listening to what we've got to talk about. Um, with Dylan uh, and with, well, I guess with me as well, we have another returning guest. He joined us last week for or to preview the Reno match. And now he's back again. I think he just, you know. He realized he just can't get enough of, of Dylan, myself, and the Orange and Black Soccer Cast. Uh, I'm talking about Cameron. Cameron, welcome back to the Orange and Black Soccer Cast. How's it going, everybody? Good to be back. And, uh, you know, you didn't make the trip up with uh, Dylan, myself, or the other few that went up from Counterline Coalition, but I I'm sure you got a chance to at least catch some of that match or hopefully all of the match, correct? Well, I was able to watch, like, the deep extended cut highlights, so I feel like I'm able to give my two and a half cents on this <laughs> or one cent. <laughs> uh, you could give us all the information. The highlights probably showed quite a bit uh, of yeah. what we need to know about the match there. 
Oh, and yeah. we have one other guest that's joining us, and this is going to be – he's making his debut on the podcast, although many of you have probably already read some of his writing on the Orange and Black Soccer Cast website. He recently joined our team to help us with some game coverage, and I'm talking about Alan Underwood. Alan, welcome to the Orange and Black Soccer Cast for the first time. Thanks for having me on. It's great to uh, join you guys. Nah, we're, we're glad to have you on there. Uh, I know Dylan myself. When when we found out you were going to be interested in helping us out with some of the writing stuff, we both were pretty excited about that because I, I think it was mostly my fault, but I sort of was being very ambitious with what we wanted to do with coverage. And it was almost going to be Dylan and I writing like five things a week, which with our busy schedules probably wouldn't work out much. So your help with some of the game coverage and, and other things is going to be awesome. And I'm glad we're able to get you onto our podcast for the first time. Yeah, I think anytime you can create more content for, especially for the USL level, uh, there's just a need for it, and I think USL is starting to take off. And you know, the more content, the more coverage, especially for Orange County, the better. Definitely. So, what we're going to do is we're going to get into uh, the swing of things. We're going to first, of course, talk about the Reno match, what happened up there with the boys from Orange County, uh, and it was sort of a close call for our Dylan and his beautiful head of hair that he I, I think he was even pretty certain he was going to be losing that head of hair uh, towards the end of that match and we'll definitely get into that then we'll also talk about a new signing that the club has announced today and then we will get into uh, the preview for the upcoming match which is the first home match of the season so first let's talk about Reno uh, Orange County made the trip up to Northern Northern Nevada. Let's try and say that five times fast. But they did make the trip up to Northern Nevada to face the team that they knocked out of the playoffs last season, Reno 1868 FC. Our good friends, John, Brad, and um, is it Mike, right, Dylan? Matt. Matt. It started with an M. I got it right, Matt. I'm sorry. Matt Rafferty. Yes. Ref out loud. I remember that now. I will remember it forever. But John, Brad, Matt, uh, they welcomed us. And basically the whole battle, battle born brigade. Man, why is there so many things that are tough to say with this right now? The whole fan base in Reno welcomed uh, Dylan, myself and the rest of the Counterline Coalition members that made the way up to Reno to uh, help cheer on Orange County. It was a pretty great experience. Uh, Probably it was my first traveling fan experience but i know dylan you had uh done some trips last season with this team how would you rate just start off with that how would you rate the experience with these fans uh reno in general compared to some of your past travels this is by far the the best um away fan interaction and time i've had in an away game before uh the result didn't go our way and and i've been to away matches that the result did go our way but Never had this much, uh, it never had close to this much fun before. So, um, a big shout out to everyone there who was uh, super welcoming and, and super fun, minus the Malort, because that was uh, not so great. Oh, that Malort. Uh, apparently, it's a, a Reno supporter tradition before the match to take a shot of that stuff. Cameron or Alan, I don't know if you all have ever tasted that stuff. Um, Cameron, no. have you tasted it? No I'm, no, I'm pretty sure I even know what it is now. <laughs> Let's just say this: it's basically rubbing alcohol that does not leave the taste does not leave your your mouth for about five or ten minutes, regardless of what you try and chase it with. You're still going to taste that. That so taste. Is like, so it's like riot punch. 
I, I would have no idea what that is. I mean, it's like grain alcohol plus like food coloring, you know, like some taste, some like ch- like fruit juice. But was it just pure rubbing alcohol, like pure grain alcohol? I have no idea what this stuff is. I don't know if it's closer to an absinthe, technically. Uh, yeah, um, that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have only uh, heard tales. So <laughs> let's just say this. Um, I think anyone, at least any of us Orange County fans that were there when we tried that, we were all looking for the closest beer, whether it was something we like, something we don't like. We just wanted to get that taste of our, out of our mouth. Uh, I sort of think maybe it was a trick played by these Reno fans. They poured all themselves a shot of something yummy, and they gave them this this weird, nasty stuff trying to to mess with us Orange County fans. Or, but, or it could be a gentleman's shot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Dylan, I like to hear that you said this was pretty much a, a, a great experience, your best experience as a traveling fan. Uh, for my first experience, I guess it's uh, I got pretty lucky with that then, uh, so I'll take it. Let's talk about this match, though. Um, Probably wasn't the start that Orange County fans were hoping out of their club. Uh, for much of the first half, it seemed like Reno was putting the, the the pressure on Orange County, and Orange County was sort of sitting back, trying to take the blows. It was almost like watching, um, dude, what's that that heavyweight boxer in the '90s? Was it uh, Lennox Lewis? I believe who's who it was. People always complained that he just sits there and just lets the other guy basically punch, 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 wear himself out, and then you finally go in for the attack. It seemed like the first half, that's sort of what Orange County's strategy was in this. Uh, it may have to do with the fact that they were playing pretty much only one defender in position. They had a, a first-time start for a goalie, uh, and a, you had a striker or at least a winger playing on the right side of defense. Uh, let me go to you, Alan, uh, as you know, someone that watched the game, did the post-game write-up. Did, is that sort of what you saw, and, and why do you think that's how it played out in that first half? It definitely seemed to be the game plan to kind of sit back and let Reno come at them, um, which I thought was an interesting tactic, knowing that Reno can be kind of offensively dangerous, and they definitely looked it in the first half. Um, and I thought that they held up pretty well, though, uh, under the circumstances. I know defense was definitely a question going into the game, uh, but it seemed like they had, you know, there were, you know, all 10 guys behind the ball, you know, the defense guys were crossing midfield and bringing everything up. So it was definitely a, a case of taking those punches and, you know, picking those spots. Cause they had a couple spots early on where they were able to get the ball into Reno's uh, half of the field. Um, but then I think once they got that first goal in the second half, I think that's when things had to change, but I was actually pretty impressed in the first half that they were able to withstand the, uh, offensive assault pretty much from Reno. And, and Dylan, you were there in the stands live at the match. You saw what was going on right there. You were, you, you guys were actually to the field. I know, you know, still a little bit back, but close enough to really get an idea of what was going on. What were your thoughts when you were watching the first, maybe 30 to 40 minutes of this match? How did you think things went? Uh, is there anything that sort of bothered you or concerned you about the game plan or what orange County was doing out there? Yeah, it actually really bothered me that we, um, went out and sat back against Reno. It reminded me a lot of the Western Conference semi from last year. Um, And I knew we didn't have as strong of a defense this time around. And I think it showed. And I think that it was the first game of the season. Uh, And I think that was evident as well. And I think a couple times that we have a keeper who's 22 and 5'8 is also um, pretty apparent if you go back and, and watch most of that game, but especially the first half. Um, 
I imagine most of that stuff is stuff that gets worked out a couple weeks in, and and now that we've got two center backs instead of uh, right back filling in at center back, um, but it was uh, it was nerve wracking for the first little bit. Um, thankfully, I had some uh, malort to calm my nerves, so that helped. I'm sure that definitely helped. Uh, luckily, you know, in that first half, you didn't have to start worrying too much about your your head of hair. There, we'll get into that as. We get into this half. Uh, I'm going to go to you, Cameron, because, um, you know, you mentioned you, you watched some of the highlights there. But from what you saw with some of the first hi- uh, first half highlights or from what you maybe have heard about this match, uh, was it surprising to see or hear that Giovanni Godoy was playing right back for Orange County to start this match against Reno? Well, I, I mean, I just, you as you told me, it's just like – I did. It, it was surprising because it kind of shows either a we don't have depth at fullback, or b that besides Kevin Alston, our fullbacks aren't good enough. But I've seen this before with Orange County in the past because we had was we when Wilito Fernandez was playing back in twenty seventeen as a striker, he was also playing center back, so it. It's not it's not a surprise seeing a forward playing defense because uh, Cloutier was an assistant to Logan Paws two years ago, but yeah, it's it, it's pretty alarming. I think that we should have more than one competent fullback playing on the pitch at all times. That's that's just me. Um, in terms of the, in terms of what I saw, the ball movement for Orange County was really slow. Again, they felt they looked a bit tepid, but I think it's just first game jitters. And two, there's a lot. There's some new players in the pitch, so like you're trying to get, trying to get your defense organized, trying to give them time to gel. It it just it felt like a first game, and it's nice. It was it was like your typical first game from a club, I think. I I could definitely understand that. Now, when you're talking about you know competent fullbacks, I mean you got to remember. Uh, uh, Joe Amico was in the starting lineup. He is one, typically one of our better, um, you know, fullbacks. Unfortunately, because the the team only had one true center back on the roster, they had to slot him over, which was creating that opening. The only question I have with with the Godoy uh, start at fullback instead of maybe Contro Wasu Ansu, who's played in that position in the past, uh, I, it seemed a little weird. And I know Dylan, you had mentioned this even before we had we made our trip up to Reno that you had heard some of this information at the season ticket holders meeting while, while talking to some of the players. And I think I had to sort of double back when you told me about. It. I'm like, are you sure it's Godoy? Because Godoy is a goal scorer; he's not a defender. Um, let me go to back to you, uh, Alan. Uh, there was quite a few new players on this roster. Uh, there was uh, two trialists, basically, that were in the starting lineup. You had Harry Forrester, you had Charlie Adams, you had Jerry Von Wolfgang, uh, all players that were not on the, the Orange County roster at the end of last season. Uh, how do you think that impacted what happened with the team in that first half? Um, I, def- in general? I definitely think there seemed to be some kind of uh, lack of cohesion, I think. Uh, there were quite a few balls into the box that seemed to kind of go nowhere. Um, it seemed like they were trying some stuff out to uh, see what works and what doesn't. Um, 
Like I said, I think the first half was, I mean, I think Reno had like 60-something percent of possession. So it wasn't a whole lot of time to really figure their lives out there with, with the new people. Um, and I think it was just kind of survival for the first half to like, hey, let's get through this. Let's, you know, put a team on the field. Let's see how we do. Let's sit back, though. We want to defend because we don't want to give up goals because then we're fighting back against, you know, one, two goals away is, is tough. Um, but I definitely saw kind of a, you know, it was kind of hit and miss sometimes, but I mean, Aiden Quinn still looked fantastic. Um, he looks like he's going to continue doing some good stuff. So there's definitely some positives, I think. Um, and some things that I think will, will start to click over the next couple of weeks. Um, and I'm going to sort of throw this question out to all of you. I'll start with Dylan first. Uh, is there any thought that the, the sort of, crazy preseason schedule for this team where there was many games that had to either be canceled, rescheduled, moved to different locations. Uh, do you think that played any part of maybe a rusty or a out of sync team in the first half? Uh, and for the, I guess the match in general, Dylan. Um, if I'm honest, I think the biggest, the biggest loss uh, that would have affected Orange County this past weekend would have been the the match that was canceled against Missile Kobe. Um, I think that, the amount of um, possession that they would have had and the amount of pressure that the Orange County defense would have been under would have been pretty comparable to how they played against Reno this past weekend. And obviously that didn't end up being the case. So, um, you know, not ideal. And uh, not having all of those guys from the preseason uh, in the match day squad is also a, a, a big loss, I think. But... Um, I, I think it's pretty well known. Um, historically, USL's defenses don't particularly do super well until May or June when they finally sink. Um, and then from that point on, you rarely see a change in back fours, and you generally see lower scoring games as well. What about you, Cameron? Uh, do you think the uh, crazy weather that we had, all the rain, and just sort of the lack of... Uh, uh, I don't. I can't even think of the word right now. Just the fact that so many schedule changes had to happen there in the preseason. Do you think that impacted Orange County at all? I don't think so, really. I mean, the only game that they truly had to cancel, I think, was more from what I can remember, is Bissell Kelby. But you know, these players are professionals. They have they have to adjust. And you know, I guarantee you, if you ever if we go back to interview all of them, I think they probably would say that's not that's not a good enough reason for why they didn't do well against Reno. So that's, I think, I don't think it's, I don't think it affected them that much. I think that, you know, you as professionals, you got to, you know, play to, you know, change accordingly to circumstances. And, you know, I think it didn't, I just think that the result we saw versus Reno wasn't, I mean, it was more of an indicator of, you know, players playing out of position or just trying to get used to one another as opposed to radical scheduling changes. So, so my question or my, my, my counter punch to that though, what you just said right there, Cameron is uh, just this club needs to sort of get, get you to each other, each other out. Typically that's what you use the preseason for, especially when you're looking at USL where you have um, roster turnover. Yes. Orange County had quite a few players that return, but when we look at the starting lineup, I believe just sort of off the top of my head, there's at least four or five new starters on that on that team from last year. So uh, 
a, a steady, consistent preseason where you have the matches that are on schedule, not getting canceled, not getting moved around. Who knows what the practice schedule was like for Orange County with all the rain we've been having. I, I think uh, this is just me personally is, is there was probably a lack of some opportunity in the preseason because of that crazy weather we had. And it sort of showed in, especially that first half where, Orange County was playing it very cautious, trying to figure things out. What What are your thoughts on it, Alan? Um, I always agree. I mean, if you listen to League One Fun, uh, friend Jason always says that preseason matters. And I think when it comes to Orange County building that cohesion, I mean, backline changes, you lose Rawls, I think, which is kind of a, you know, a, a big thing as well. That's something to be concerned about. I know, uh, you know, you had some guys in camp that and didn't get really signed until the couple days before the season started but I do think there is something to be said about you know that team cohesion especially at the back and then you're trying to protect that back line um, and you know you end up trying to play to I guess draw it just seemed like they were like all right with drawing like we're gonna play not to lose uh, which is um, you know definitely not the brand of soccer that really I think excites people about Orange County Orange County seems to be that that fun, open, really like, you know, that offensive fun that we like. And um, I do think the preseason had something to do with that. Um, I hopefully the defense thing f- figures itself out with that new signing we're going to talk about later. Um, and I think that there will be some positive improvements, um, but it just seemed like they were playing to tie as opposed to like putting their front foot forward and just kind of going for it. So if we look at it now, we've sort of been dwelling on this first half, which was probably the boring, the more boring of the two halves. Let's get into the second half of action. Uh, four goals scored in the second half. Uh, Reno scoring the first two goals. Orange County answering back late in the match, including a uh, game equalizer in extra time. But let's talk really quick about that first goal that Orange County gave up. Uh, this is into the whole... A defensive or offensive player having to play defense because if we look at this and, and anyone that listens to this podcast you know at least myself I believe Dylan's in the same shoe we love Gio Godoy he was a great uh, piece off the bench for Orange County last season last season sort of that energy off the bench so nothing against him in the position he was having to play uh, in the match over the weekend but uh, that first goal is pretty much all Godoy's uh, fault uh, you know having uh in the header attempt to get it out of the box uh, and then sort of not knowing what to do with that point and uh, Brown sort of getting by him easily and then getting past Amico for the goal. Uh, let's go with you, Dylan. What's, uh, is there anything Godoy could have done differently or was it just one of those situations that out of he was out of his element there? I think it's a bit that he's out of his element and he was also tasked with, with marking a really good um, striker and Brian Brown. I think Godoy's uh, header there was something you'd more see as a was like an attempt at keeping a ball in the box from like a corner. Um, and where he was at, he basically could only head it um, towards the um, the top of the box, which was not great. Um, but I think that's what happens when you play a striker as a as a right back, and then when you've got Joe Amico next to him. Um, a right back trying to play center back um, and a, a center back that can't really jump with no uh, no disrespect to to Joe there, but his, his vertical leap is not uh, maybe the best. Um, it, it's no wonder that these, these things happen. 
uh, let me go with uh, to you next, Alan. Um, so who would you give or who would you say is more respectful? Was it more the the defense just not doing what the defense should have done? Or do you have to give uh, Brian Brown and, and Reno a little bit of credit there in being able to somehow, uh, you know, weave your way past a couple of defenders and getting the shot past, uh, past the goalie? I think it's kind of a combination of the two. I think uh, maybe a little bit unlucky with the head. It looked like he uh, read it a little bit late and tried to like jump up and lunge for it and just popped it up instead of clearing it out. But I mean, the way that Brown chested that ball down was like, was a a pretty good offensive play. Uh, Just kind of a really nice touch to settle the ball down. Uh, And then he just kind of out muscled the, the orange County players. Like he just wanted to get to that goal more. So I think it's kind of a combination of both, maybe like not as strong defense, but also kind of a, I mean, you got to tip your hat sometimes to some good touches that just put them in the right place. Uh, and Brown definitely displayed those skills. So I say a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah, definitely a, a good thought there. Um, I, I lean more towards just, it, it wasn't great defense. And again, nothing against Gio Godoy. He's, he's pretty much always been an offensive player in college and in the USL. So it's one of those having to learn on the go. And it's like Dylan said, I mean, it's a tough, a tough guard to have to go out your first start on defense and try and uh, keep, you know, keep them locked down, keep Brian Brown locked down for a full 90 minutes. Uh, I want to come to you, Cameron, really quick, uh, because in this match, we had Carlos Lopez making his first USL start 22 years old. He's been basically in Mexico for the last, what, eight or so years. Uh, in the youth programs has made a few appearances uh, here and there. Um, we, uh, you know, watching the match there, he made a quite a few questionable or questionable judgment calls coming out of the goal a couple times to play a ball that he probably had no, uh, no need to do so, or really he's doing it without really any confidence or that he's going to get to the ball. Uh, you know, the two goals he got through, some people could say there was he could have had a chance of getting a hand on that first goal. The second goal, maybe not so much. What are your thoughts with with Orange County basically going into this match with two unexperienced uh, goalkeepers and basically having to pick, I guess, the lesser of two evils in this situation? Well, I mean that this was out of circumstance. I still, I still think Orange County somehow. I think they're still looking for a goalkeeper. Personally, because I mean, I'll give I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, probably due to the fact that in those situations where he could have come out and got it, or he could have stayed back. That's all about communication. That's all about communication with your center backs or your defenders, and that takes time to gel. You know, going off of what Dylan said earlier, he's not that big of a goalkeeper either. He's five, I'm, I'm taller than he is, and, and he and he and he has to, you know overcompensate when it comes to, you know, whether he's trying to save a shot in the top corner or the lower corners, but you know, it just, it looked, he looked like a kid who hasn't really played a professional game in his life. You know, when you you look at his appearance record for, you know, in the Mexican league and even now it's like, there's a big zero on league appearances. And so, you know, then you also have Aaron Cervantes, who's not even what 18 years old yet. So you're, so basically you're picking, you're picking the guy who has played for a professional team before, you know, it's overall, I would say this is, this is a, I, I give him a mullion. 
<laughs> because it's just they, this is just one probably his first professional game he's ever played it too he's playing with the makeshift defense they probably won't play with for the rest of the season so i'll give him that all right so let me do this really quick before we talk about the two goals that orange county score then and i'm, I'm just going to get a quick short answer from each of you um do orange county or does orange county to sign uh, a better quality keeper if they're going to have any shot at winning the championship or can they potentially uh, compete for a championship with the goalkeepers they have right now? And I'm going to start with you, Dylan. Yes, they absolutely need to sign new keepers, someone bigger and more experienced and, and older. How about you, Alan? Uh, yeah, I think you guys need a new keeper or we need a new keeper. Yeah, you're part of the team now. And you yeah, you guys. you're used to it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's it's worth a shot to get a new keeper. I think you'd be a good backup. But. And, and we heard from you, uh, Cameron. It sort of sounds like you're just you, – your your thought is they're probably going to get someone. They're just trying to look for the right loan uh, from an MLS uh, team that can get them a keeper that has some, some experience with some quality, correct? Yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about this, though. So come, what, the 70th, 72nd minute, Dylan's in the stands in section, I think, 10-something, 101 – to six, uh, I think, or is that 106? I knew it was one. I thought that might be Reno's. Was, that might be Reno's. So I think 101, 102, somewhere around there, somewhere over there by the dugout, the third base dugout at uh, uh, Greater Nevada Field. He's sweating. He he's just sweating. He's he's like nervous about having to tell his mom, uh, "Hey mom, I need to shave my head off or my head off my uh, hair off my head," <laughs> and uh, somehow, some way. You get a little bit of uh, hope when Michael Seaton off an errant pass from the Reno. Uh, I forget which Reno player it was, but it was a horrible pass. Seaton's in the right spot. He just goes in and he, I don't know how he did it, but he totally juked out the, the Reno goalkeeper. The Reno goalkeeper dives one way. Michael Seaton shoots the other. Um, not even a, a hard shot, just a nice placement. And all of a sudden, Orange County's only down one with about 75 minutes to go or so. Uh, Dylan, what were you thinking at that moment out there in the stands? I mean, I was I was thrilled because um, Aiden was clearly picking up uh, some needed leadership out there, and he was the one that pressed for that that bad pass. I think it was supposed to be back to Zach Carroll um, or whoever their other defenseman is. I can't even think of who Reno's other uh, center back was. Uh, God, like Brent Richards, maybe. But um, you know, Seaton picks that up, and I think basically him opening up his hips sent. Marcinkowski the wrong way, slots at home, and I was thinking, this is the team that I know 40 minutes into a game. This is the Orange County of last year after conceding that first goal. If they're back in it, these guys are going to claw something back. Like I knew that was how the tide turned, and it was something sloppy, and I knew that would maybe bring a little bit of, of doubt to the Reno players and that little bit of belief to the Orange County players. So um, I was still nervous. I'm not gonna lie. I was still very nervous about my hair, um, <laughs> but I was nervous. But I, I had some. I had some belief there. Uh, Alan, I'm gonna go to you. What about you? Watching the the stream on ESPN Plus, watching the match uh, as it's going on, you see Michael Seaton get that ball. Uh, did, were you pretty confident that he was gonna be able to put that ball in the net, or uh, were you still a little nervous as he's dribbling down the field looking for that shot? I was still a little nervous. I mean, that wasn't the first time he was kind of in on a goalie uh, during the game. He had a, another chance earlier. We kind of just put it off the side of the net. Um, but I think uh, he kind of 
learned from that lesson and and I think he was really clinical in putting that goal in uh like getting the goalie to dive the wrong way is is pretty impressive uh I know I know I couldn't probably I probably couldn't even do that if I tried 15 times uh but I you know seeing him in I thought you know if he can calmly put this in I think we got a we got a chance especially with the way they kind of picked it up um after Darwin Jones came on I thought that was like a big boost you know Darwin Jones put it off the post earlier I thought like I forgot hey, we're gonna, about that one. Yeah, hey, we're gonna get one. Like that was like a crazy good strike. Just happened to I mean, he beat the goalie. He just happened to hit the woodwork. And yeah. I said, Hey, it's it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. I know it's gonna happen. And then when one went in, I was like, All right, one went in, let's get two. Uh Cameron, uh, you know, what you know as of the Orange County team, I know you said you, you didn't really get a chance to watch a lot, but you did get to watch the highlights. Um you know, going or, or hearing that Michael Seaton scores that goal around the 75th minute puts Orange County only down one at that point. Is there confidence in this team that they could somehow pull out uh, an equalizer or even get two more goals and, and, and get a game winner in, in your mind? Or uh, is that sort of the, the end of things when you see something like that? Well, I mean, if you look at last season, Orange County are really going to come in from behind to get a result. And I think, what we saw was that our the the players that we expect our top players showed up. I mean, Aiden Quinn was very very in- integral in the build up to the first goal, forcing the back pass, and you know Seaton being the goal scorer that we need him to be finished it. You know, I mean, Christmas came early <laughs> with that uh, <laughs> with that with that mistake, and so because the thing is also those kinds of mistakes can easily deflate a team winning as well. Like that was such a schoolboy error, you know, the, that, that kind of mistake can kill a team's confidence. And ultimately I think that, you know, when Seton scored, a result can come. So after Seton scored, uh, I think it sort of uh, turned the tides a little bit. Orange County was getting a little bit more aggressive. I think Alan, you're right. It's when DJ or, or Darwin Jones came in, uh, hit the post. I think that sort of ignited, uh, the change and Orange County started putting a little bit more pressure on. It seemed like they became the more aggressive uh, team for the final like 15 or so minutes, 20 minutes in the match. Uh, but for some reason, for for whatever reason, they just couldn't find that that equalizer heading into the 90th minute, heading into extra time. Uh, I was up in the press box with our friend John Macaluso of 1868 Weekly. Uh, I was, you know, going and already making edits on our logo because for those of you that haven't listened to us before, we made a bet with them that the losing side would have to change their logo and put the, the podcast colors of the opposite team on. So I was already starting to work on that. He's telling me, don't do it. Don't do it yet. Don't you still got a chance. I'm like, dude, it's, it's already hitting extra time. Uh, you know, it's pretty much there. Uh, the, uh, the person that is the media contact for Reno 1868 FC, uh, her name is Kylie. Uh, she was going to start heading down to the field from the press box. She said, Hey, who are you going to want to speak with? I'm like, I, I don't think I'm going to speak one of them because I know typically in County, they don't like to speak with media after a loss. Uh, so I was just sort of focused on working on my, on my, uh, my logo change. Uh, all of a sudden they get a free kick somewhere, you know, right in front of the Reno bench. Kevin Alston looks like he's wanting to maybe take the kick. Uh, he looks back at his goalkeeper, Carlos Lopez. They sort of share looks. Carlos Lopez comes up, eventually takes over and decides to take the kick. Probably the right choice there because I, I I don't think if Kevin Alston takes that kick, I, I, the star is going to be completely different. But what happens is Lopez lifts the ball high in the air. Uh, the 
Reno keeper. Uh, is it Marzakowski or something like that? Right, Dylan? Yeah. Am I getting that right? Yeah, Marzakowski, but close enough. Marzakowski. I got it. Hey, for me, that's that's a victory. Uh, but instead of trying to punch the ball away from the penalty box or away from wherever he was, he makes an attempt to try and grab it. Aiden Quinn puts pressure on him. The ball falls out of his hands right to Aiden Quinn's feet with pretty much an open goal in front of him. And all the Reno keeper can do is basically tackle um, Aiden Quinn in hopes that uh, Quinn would end up missing a penalty. Luckily for Dylan's hair, luckily for the orange and black soccer cast logo, Aiden Quinn's pretty, con- or pretty, you know, I guess almost perfect in penalty shots. Gets the uh, gets the, the game equalizer there in like the ninety first minute or ninety plus one, however you want to say it. Uh, Dylan, what was going in your uh, going through your mind at that moment? Um, I think I shouted something about still having hair. <laughs> but I was like all aboard the Aiden Quinn penalty god uh, train, and I was just we were going through our our post goal chance, and I think we knew we had it in the bag at that point. Um, like you said, basically everything was going in Orange County's favor from that point on. Um, those last fifteen minutes, uh, Orange County I think had six or seven shots on goal, and Reno. Uh, had had two shots um, and one successful dribble. So Orange County had basically pushed them back, and we saw that the um, those tides turn, or the uh, the tables turn, or the turntables, depending on your <laughs> preferred um, pop culture reference. But I think that's when we knew Orange County had salvaged a point, um, and it was no surprise that it was Aiden Quinn really. Um, leading that. Let me uh, ask you, Cameron, this next question. Um, The Reno keeper made a decision to try and grab the ball instead of punch it away. Uh, Was that the wrong decision? Should he have tried to punch it away instead? Or or would would you, if you were in his shoes, would you have also tried to grab it? Well, I mean, I mean, I've never played these youth soccer before, but you know, you'd see that AYSO soccer dad would tell you, when in doubt, clear it out. <laughs> That's, uh, I would have punched it, you know, punch it, set yourself back up, you know, save a shot that comes your way. Because trying to catch it, it's too risky, you know? No, definitely, definitely. Um, let me go to you, Alan, for the last question on this game, and then we're going to, uh, talk briefly about who, you know, who we thought was the MVP or the, the, yeah, the MVP of the match. Um, when Aiden Quinn was awarded that penalty or when Orange County was awarded the penalty, of course, you know, Aiden Quinn's going to step up to the spot. Is there any concern? Is there any worry in your mind that he's going to miss? Or is that pretty much a lock that he's going to score that goal at that moment? I mean, there's always a little bit of worry, but I think uh, with Aiden Quinn, uh, I felt pretty good. Like, as soon as he like put the ball down, he was like, he was in the zone. Like you could see that he was like, this is going to go in. You're always, I mean, 2% doubt. Cause there's always something that can go wrong. You slip. The goalie makes a beautiful save. Like anything can happen. But I felt, you know, looking at the way he approached the kick, I was like, yeah, this is, this is going to be an equalizer. And uh, what a way to tie it up. And honestly, if you're an opposing goalkeeper, you have no idea where he's going to put it. I have never seen him put it in the same spot twice in a row. He'll go bottom right. He'll go top right. He'll go top left. Wherever it is, he's he's 
basically the only thing I don't think I've ever seen him do on a penalty is a Panenka. <laughs> and uh, if he's listening, or if anyone in the squad's listening, don't encourage that. <laughs> Not in a 2-1, we're coming from behind. If we're up like 5-0, that's cool. But yeah, you've got to have no idea. So you've got to be freaking out, especially if you're a 21-year-old goalkeeper playing against a guy who's, I mean, honestly, and I'm a homer, too good for the USL. <laughs> uh, so in the end, Orange County was able to claw from behind, uh, score the two final goals of the match. Uh, they leave Reno, a very cold, almost snowy Reno uh, with one point, which was amazing. Uh, after the match, I got a chance to speak with uh, with Michael Seaton, and uh, this is what he had to say. And sort of listen, he was pretty confident in, in Aiden Quinn as well. Uh, Keen, let me know just sort of what happened on that first goal of the match yeah. after we had gone down two nil. Uh, tell me about the the fight in this team and and how did that first goal play out? Uh, it starts from the, the coach, the staff, the bench, and then we just took advantage of that. And I, I thought we were down two zero. We just held on to it and didn't give up. So I think that goal right there, that's like me just keeping my head down, knowing that the opportunity will come and once it come, I got to take it. And uh, what does it say about the team going down 2-0 in hostile environment and up here in Reno in the second half and fighting back to, to at least get a point out of this match? Building on last year. We, we did that all last year. And, and it's a good thing that we started off the season like that because I think last season we dropped points at the beginning. And, of course, this is not us. You know, this is not our identity today. You know, this doesn't define us. I think we pick it up when the season goes on, and we did a great job of coming back today. And then what do you think uh, What do you think happened coming out of the locker room? Was, uh, was there anything that... Uh, caused you guys to sort of give up a couple quick goals there in the second half, or was it just maybe the luck of a bounce for for the opposing team? Turning off. I think I think we tuned off. You know what I mean. And I think the problem with us is they have to score first for us to have a, a fire lit under us. You know. And uh, I think we need to stop that mentality. But at the end of the day, it worked out for us. And then, did you have any doubts when uh, Aiden stepped up to the to the penalty no, spot? Never. never. I walked, equalizer. Never. I walked. I walked away before he kicked it. Before he, Aiden kicked it, I walked away. You know what's going in? Yeah, because I, I have belief in Aiden. Aiden, anything he does. So you know. I think everyone knew Aiden was going to make it. What can? All right, so that was Michael Seaton uh, after the match. Uh, I wanted to wait to play that a little bit because if you listen to what he was saying, it's a lot of what we've been talking about this match. Uh, you know, Orange County sort of last year showed it; they have to go down before they really sort of turn on their 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 strong, whatever you want to call. It. I, I can't even think of the word I'm trying to say there. Uh, but that was, yeah, Michael Seaton after the match. Uh, one of the person I spoke with after the match was Aiden Quinn. Asked him sort of similar questions, but this is what he had to say. To, to come up to Reno in the first game of the, mat, uh, of the season, uh, go down 2-0 and fight back, what does that mean for this club? Yeah, this place is uh, really hard to play at no matter what, uh, especially the first game of the season. Still trying to get our bearings with the team. We have a couple of injuries and still guys coming in. But uh, it's a great result, especially coming down from two. Uh, we can play better, obviously, but to get a point here, it's excellent. Uh, let me uh, give me in your words what happened there at the end of the match uh, to get the uh, equalizing goal. I know you got that in the penalty shot, but did you see how that all played out? Yeah, um, uh, Carlos Sabol, his keeper, uh, just floated in a ball. I just challenged with the goalkeeper. It hit my head. It fell down. It fell right in front of me, and goalie kind of just wrapped me up. It's a clear penalty, and then I just had to step up and put it away to tie the game. Uh, did you have any... Uh, any doubts that that goal was going to go in when uh, you got that when you stepped up to the penalty uh, to knock it in, or did you uh, did you have a good feeling about it? Well, I was pretty confident, but you never know what's going to happen. Uh, but I'm happy and glad that it went in. Uh, what can Orange County fans expect next week uh, as you guys head home and play the first home match of the season uh, in front of the home uh, fans? I think uh, from this match, you can see that we'll never we'll never say uh, never say die, and 
we'll keep fighting until the end, no matter what happens. And hopefully we don't give up two goals and we have to come back. So hopefully we uh, start off a little stronger. But we're going to need all the fans we can get, especially at home, and make it a fortress. Awesome. Thank you very much, Aiden. Thank you so much. All right. So that was uh, Michael Steen. That was Aiden Quinn at the end of the match. Uh, let's do this, gentlemen, really quickly. I just need to get a name from you, and you can maybe give a sentence uh, just uh, for time purposes. Uh, your MVP or, you know, who is the most important person in the match there. I'm going to start with uh, our, our, our rookie here. I'm going to start with you, Alan. I would have to say Aiden Quinn. I think he was start to finish the best, consistently best player on the pitch. Perfect. And what about you, Cameron? Aiden Quinn. His form is temporary, but class is permanent. <laughs> and let's go to you, Dylan. Cool cliche there, Cameron. Uh, Aiden Quinn, um, he was the leader out there on the pitch, and he basically single-handedly grabbed that um, that victory for Orange County, both pressing and then slotting home that penalty. I mean, cool, calm, ice in his veins for, for the other cliche. <laughs> he jumped in before I could even say it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go a little different than all three of you gentlemen. I'm actually going to go with uh, my MVP is uh, – Coach Braden Cloutier's uh, substitutions. Uh, I, I think the three substitutions he made in the Magic, especially bringing in uh, Darwin Jones, totally changed the 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 uh, tempo. Totally changed the match into Orange County's favor. Uh, also bringing in Connor Gordon was pretty good. You could see him uh, making an attempt at the uh, uh, up there up top. I think those moves, and I think the other move was Koji Hashimoto coming in. They all sort of changed what was going on in the match and helped Orange County uh, get those those points and or at that point uh let's just before we talk about or before we preview the upcoming match the home opener against tulsa we need to talk about a roster signing uh today actually earlier today orange county announced the signing of leonardo uh a a nine-year mls veteran who has played with la galaxy and also most recently with houston dynamo I will admit I don't know much about the guy except for what I was able to read off of uh, the club's press release, his MLS bio, and whatnot. But I know our friend Cameron, who has covered soccer in Southern California for for a while here, uh, he probably would be the most uh, knowledgeable about Leonardo. Uh, uh, so, Cameron, what can you share to uh, share with our listeners about this new signing for Orange County? Well, I mean, he definitely has pedigree at the top level of American soccer. You know, playing for the LA Galaxy. You know, winning a trophy, winning the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup with Houston. You know, he probably he didn't make any more than a hundred appearances for the Galaxy. Um, you know, reliable center back. You know, decent with his feet. Could defend pretty good. You know, up there at the age of thirty-one. You know, sort of in the twilight of his career. But I think while I can rail off attributes from the little I've seen him, but, you know, to have a proven, I think it, it's a win-win for Orange County um, because, one, he's an experienced MLS center back, and two, he's not alone signing. So we don't have to fear of him playing well and, you know, Houston going back, claiming, to, hey, we, we want him back, you know, so... It definitely brings two. He brings two things to the table. I think just experience. I think his ability to win trophies is another thing too. So, and Walker Hume gets an experienced center back partner. And what Cameron mentioned there, I'm going to go to you, Dylan. Uh, the fact that it's not a loney. I know one of the frustrating parts for us last season, for fans of Orange County last season, was the Alex Cornali loan 
deal where he got called back a few times throughout the season. There was times where it felt like Cronali maybe wasn't all in with Orange County, was maybe looking forward or towards the future for his Columbus uh, career. Uh, Does that make you as happy as Cameron that uh, this is actually a signing and not a loan? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think I've said a few times the last few weeks, I basically expected them to announce Cronali again. Um, he hasn't featured on the on the bench or on the uh, in the starting eleven for Columbus, so I kind of assumed he'd be coming back. I know Cludia trusts him. We saw that last year, um, but it is I think better that um, Hume has a as a good, um, hopefully calmer uh, that experienced partner in the back, and and additionally, it's another guy that's over six feet tall, so that's <laughs> going to make some some differences, but. You know, it's probably a pretty low risk for the club. I'm sure it's a one-year deal, um, and and I'm sure he's just here to prove himself that he's still got it. So, does this put to rest the uh, the potential of a, a Al Ali return? Uh, you know, I really think we still need a third center back. Um, no disrespect to Joe, but he's not <laughs> a center back, um, and they might have thrown him there because it's an emergency. But I mean, I know he's he's best. Uh, on the outside of the pitch. Perfect. And I'm going to go to you, Alan, next. So we're bringing in Leonardo, uh, again, a nine-year MLS veteran, 31 years of age. I-, I think the last time we brought in an experienced MLS veteran up there in age uh, was mid-last season in Kevin Alston, and that turned out pretty well for the club, right? Yeah, I think anytime you can add that kind of experience, I think with a club that's looking at, hey, we have some defensive issues we want to solve, and there's always looking for that kind of clubhouse guy to really, you know, push you over the top. Because, I mean, you're, you know, one game away from going to the final. I think you're looking for that little extra. I mean, you're not bringing him in to score goals. He's got like, what, five in his career. So you're definitely looking for that that leadership, those leadership qualities that those older guys bring in, that experience of just kind of being there. And, you know, you talk about the experience, the leadership. We tried to do that last year with someone like Yoshoivel, who came in, I believe, at like 34, 35 years old. Uh, there's a difference between that age and 31. 31 is, yes, on the tail end of your career, but it's still an age where you can still be very productive. Uh, you're bringing in as someone who has basically played his whole career, or at least plays nine years in the MLS. Uh, nothing against USL, USL clubs, teams. The the, the level of, of play is not as as high as what MLS has. So I think if you're able to be productive in MLS, which uh, Leonardo has been, I, I know there's, you know, people question what he can do out there, but if you look at it, at least his last two seasons in Houston, he played pretty, a pretty big role with that squad. Uh, you're bringing in someone now he's dropping into the USL level. Uh, I, I don't see there any need to, to worry about, is he going to be able to compete at the USL level? It's a, different level of soccer. It's someone with experience. Um, And so I'm excited about it just because the fact we needed another defender to begin with. And instead of bringing in someone, maybe an unknown, you're bringing someone, at least you know what he can bring to your team. You have tape on him. You can see what he can do and you can try and really integrate that into what you do with the club. And like Dylan said, he's, you know, six foot two and he has a little bit of athleticism, some strength in him. So it's not someone that's going to get pushed around too much in the box there. So I mean, a better vertical than Joe Amico. <laughs> oh yes. The yes, yes. Up, right? The only way is up. <laughs> All right. So just like we did with our, with our MVP 
at the end of our recap for the match, we're going to go around and just do a quick grade on what we think of the signing does. Again, you can give a quick, you know, explanation, one or two sentences. Um, let's sort of go reverse ways. Uh, I'm going to go with you first, Dylan. Um, given the circumstances, I, I guess I got to give him a B. Uh, you know, I'll give him a B plus. Um, it's a experienced center back at a time that we obviously need center backs. So half of the half of the defense is is that much closer to being sorted. All right, Cameron, what about you? A minus because he's an MLS defender and has won a trophy. So um brings us brings much needed experience to the team. So it's a low risk, high reward. So A minus. Alan, for you. I, I was leaning around B plus A minus. Um, being the teacher that I am, I would always want to see that improvement over the course of the uh, semester, if you will. Um, I do think it's a really solid signing. I think it's something that Orange County needs. Uh, so I'm kind of leaning. I'll give him a minus. Uh, I'm going to have to go towards the higher than with you, uh, you and Cameron. Then I'm going to have to say a minus as well. I, I think because we needed a center back and you're bringing in again, someone with experience, it's not someone that's an unknown entity, someone that you know what you're going to get. It's someone that's going to be able to slot in and provide you some solid defense, uh, especially now that he's playing at the USL level instead of the MLS level. So I, I'm going to go with an a minus all right let's do this uh for the fact that we're very short on time here for the remainder part of this let's get into our match preview um we'll maybe just give some quick thoughts of what to expect in this match if you guys have any ideas or any thoughts on it um and also what you maybe want to see out of the home fans on sat i'm going to start with cameron uh cameron what are you expecting to see out of orange county as they host tulsa in the uh, home opener for 2019? Well, I think they're going to be way, way, way more aggressive than they were last weekend, considering they're the home team now. I think Orange County will look to force the initiative, and I think they score first, and I expect the fans to uh, match the intensity. Um, I'll be in the county, I'll be in the CLC section, so, you know, I'll be, I'll be bringing the noise too. And yeah, I think Orange County will start, will come out of the gates flying, knowing that they want to get the first win at home this season. And what about you, Alan? Uh, what are your thoughts into this match? Is there anything that worries you about Tulsa? Or is this something where, you know, Orange County has now gotten their, their shoes wet in the, or the feet wet for the USL 2019 season, USL championship, and they're now ready to sort of put the, the pedal to the metal and, and, Take it to, to Tulsa. Um, I would like to see OC kind of the same thing Cameron was talking about. Just front foot it, use the crowd energy to, you know, start really strong, put one in, you know, feel what that feels like. Um, I think Tulsa is, you know, I don't want to say or, uh, it's going to be a, a walkover. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough opponent. But I do think this is a, you know, you're not facing OKC, you're not facing San Antonio or Phoenix or any of those guys. I think you take it to them and you uh, find that offensive form uh, that's going to carry you into the next couple of weeks. What about you, Dylan? Yeah. Um, I think Tulsa's got a couple quality players, but I don't think they've got any chance. I know they drew against Portland this past week, um, but... Portland didn't put out a particularly strong team like they have uh, against other teams. I 
really expect Orange County to go out there, dominate possession, dominate the play, dominate the scoreline as well. Um, 6-1 was the last result between these two teams, and though I don't expect it to be that much of a blowout, uh, I'm not opposed to it, that's for sure. Uh, so I, with Dylan, with you sort of reminding, uh, I guess, Tulsa and their fans, if any of them are listening, and potentially, I guess, any of their players, what the score was last season, How ma- does anyone know how many returning players Tulsa has? Because I guess that would be my biggest concern or my biggest question is if they remember, if that team remembers what happened last season. Uh, but yeah, no, I feel like Orange County is on another level compared to Tulsa. I think they should be able to come out and dominate this match. I'm hoping they come out and don't sit back for, you know, the first half of the match and don't wait for the other team to get on the board before they decide, oh, yeah, this is a game we got to score goals. Uh, so the hope is Orange County comes out strong. Uh, the defense is a little bit more settled, especially if we get Leonardo uh, some time practicing this week and get him into the lineup, which I'm hoping is is the case, that he's ready to do that. And, and I'm hoping it's going to be, or I'm thinking it's going to be a pretty fun night of soccer for Orange County and their fans uh, out there at uh, Championship Soccer Stadium. Uh, really quick before we get to any game predictions or, or any last thoughts on this match, I want to find out from each of you too, is there any, other than you know Leonardo maybe coming in as, as a center back and moving Joe Amico back to his uh, natural uh, fullback position, is there any other uh, changes to the starting lineup that any of you guys would like to see? I'll start with you, Alan. Fallon's there. There we go. Sorry. My, yeah, no my microphone was disappearing. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I do think there needs to be a little bit of consistency going forward. I think if Leonardo gets in, you know, that resets kind of your lineup. Um, you know, I think maybe keeping your bench players on the bench uh, like you did last time and put them in just to kind of kick them up a notch in the last 20, 30 minutes, um, I think is uh, going to solidify those bench roles too as we move forward. So I don't think we need to change too much besides just the back end at this point what about you dylan ideally we'd sign a goalkeeper before saturday and he'd start um and, and no disrespect to our current keepers uh, not quite there yet um other than that i think we should give um sebastian de a shot i don't think that uh chris almost um played to his full potential and i'm sure that's a big part and nerves with it being his first professional match and a big part as well, um, being in a team that's still trying to figure out uh, what they're doing. Um, but his job is extremely important. And um, you know, I think after the praise, really impressive preseason, we should give him a shot this week. And Cameron, what about you? Stark Darwin Jones. Oh, that's a I good one. Stark. I could get behind that one. You stole my thunder, Cameron. I should have gone before you. That was going to be what I was going to say is we need we need DJ in the starting lineup. Uh, you know, we saw the instant impact he had on the match uh, up there in Reno. I think almost instantaneously he hits the goalpost from when he comes into the match. Uh, I, I was surprised. I think, Dylan, if you remember when we were talking about who we thought was going to start the match. By the way, Dylan, folks, he got 10 out of 11 starters correct. All yeah, predicting to we didn't have insider information other than just sort of what we've heard or Dylan talking or to players at the season ticket holder event, but he got all of them except for uh, the sort of defensive midfielder there was the only one that we got wrong. And I don't think anyone would have been able to guess that. 
Uh, but I, I think Darwin Jones needs to be in the, in the starting lineup. The only thing that sucks is then who are you taking out? It would have to probably be either Harry Forster or uh, Jerry. Yeah, Fonda. Take, yeah, yeah. Take, 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 take him out. Take him. Take him out. <laughs> He's now, not fit, and why, we learned why, that. Why? why but no, I think, no. I, I have potential for this boy, but you know, it's, it's, Darwin, you, it's, it's Darwin Jones' spot to lose. All right, so let me do this. I'm gonna just. I know this is sort of probably never going to happen, but maybe we go with a more attack minded lineup and we maybe go with Aiden Quinn in the deeper role. So we can try and make those passes to the players, put Forrester and Adams Adams up there in the uh, uh, more attacking midfielder role. And you can have Darwin Jones and uh, Von Von Wolfgang out there uh, helping out Michael Seaton. I I don't see how that wouldn't work. I know there's times where you see Aiden Quinn drop back a little bit deeper. Charlie Adams can do that as well. So if you need to switch that up in the middle of a match, I don't see that being a, a potential issue. And if you look at it, if that's it, this is all thinking we're going to bring in Leonardo in defense and we're going to solidify the defense. If we're not going to do that, then no, don't do this. But if, if that happens, I mean, maybe go with a just solid attack minded uh, game plan against a team that you should be able to beat regardless. Well, the thing is, Leonardo is starting on Saturday. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, he's he's signing, and he's gonna go right in. That's my that's my prediction. There you go. That's that's Cameron's prediction. Um, yeah, but I I'd love to see DJ in there because I I was sort of disappointed when I found out he wasn't gonna start, both from Dylan's prediction and then actually from seeing the players walk out on the pitch. Uh, I was a little sad about that. Yeah, I think uh, in that instance at Reno, if you're playing to to play back, I think you save him so you know when you're if you're down a goal, you put him in to spark that offense. So I, I think it's a little bit understandable why he starts on the bench. I do agree that getting him in, especially against the home crowd, uh, if you're going to go really attack-minded, I'd like to see him. Uh, but I think like bringing him in that late was really a good spark plug uh, and something you th- maybe think about in the future for those games you know are going to be tight. Maybe hold him off uh, and put him on. Yeah, he's so quick, and he possesses a really good shot. And I don't know why, but no fullback in the USL has seemed to figure out how to mark him yet and that he does the same little move every time and gets past him. He's just got too much pace, and he's so low to the ground that he can get around him. I love it. I mean, there there is a reason, gentlemen, that he was once, you know, a, a, a big USL prospect up there in Seattle. So it's not like an unknown entity and he's just sort of came out of nowhere. I mean, people thought he was going to potentially be something good and big. It just didn't work out for him at that level. And now that's why he's playing with Orange County. Luckily for us, uh, you know, similar story with like a Michael Seaton or with a Kevin Austin or, or whatnot. I don't mind having them on the roster, but you got to play them when you have these type of players and no disrespect to anyone else, like a Harry Forrester or, uh, you know, any potential player that would get taken out of the lineup for it. But uh, Darwin Jones has proven it for the club. He's one of the returning players and he's, we know what we get out of him and he's, he chose to come back to orange County. So you gotta, you gotta show love to these players that are, are committing, uh, you know, someone like Darwin Jones who could potentially look at moving to a bigger, better team, you know, with his potential. Um, yes, let's do this. Uh, just again for time purposes, let's get into our, our match prediction final score. And who do you think is going to be the MVP of the match, Dylan? I'm going to start with you. Four uh, one Orange County. Um, Michael Seaton MVP. Going to go with he's going to score at least one and assist at least another. So awesome! Come on, Mike, don't let me down. 
Alan, what about you? I was I was thinking about this. I think it was three one with uh, Seton getting a brace. Awesome. Cameron, what about you? I'm gonna say three to two. Quinny being my MVP. Perfect. And I actually am gonna agree with you, Cameron, on the scoreline three two for Orange County. I'm gonna go with Jerry von Wolfgang as the MVP for the match. Um, it's so much. It's, it's it's so much easier to say than Van Avike. It is. It definitely <laughs> is. And it just sounds so much cooler, right? Well, yeah. It's like Van Wolfgang's. Like, all right, you know, you could be like in a Van Halen cover band. <laughs> oh, let's do this. Um, any other random uh, USL news or thoughts you guys want to to share with our listeners? Uh, and just throw it out there. I'm not even going to call names. If anyone has anything, just just blurt it out. Well, yeah, I mean, Andre, oh, go ahead, Cameron. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Same time. Chaos. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, US, USL League One side Ford Madison released their kits, I think maybe yesterday or two days ago, and they are amazing. Shout out, shout out to Hummel USA for uh, the cool design. And for me, hands down, out of all the USL levels, the nicest kits I've seen. Yeah, Lansing's is pretty legit too. Their practice jersey, but uh, they're they're talking about doing pre-orders on those pink goalie jerseys. By the way, if you're interested, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to be able to get a, a goalie jersey of your team? Right. I'm not. See, I'm not a big fan of the keeper. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of fans wearing keep, keeper kits. I don't know. It just looks really weird. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Dylan? I, I thought you had something to say there. They yeah, kind of I, I did. Well, I was letting them finish their their jersey love. Um, I got two really quick things to start with. Orange County news. I talked to uh, Oliver on Saturday at the game, and I basically begged him for news as to whether or not we were going to get like hoodies and other um, merch for this year. And he said it's on its way. And I said, is it going to be quality stuff? Cause if it's a cotton hoodie, then I'm not going to buy anything. And he said, no, 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 <laughs> it's going to be good stuff. Adidas branded stuff. So uh, let that be on the record. Also Andre Rawls for the switchbacks this past weekend against Los Dos um, faced 10 shots, three on target, only let one buy. He's going to drag that team up a good few positions uh, this year, but uh you know, Hopefully he's not still killing it. Orange County, though. No, I don't think that uh, Colorado Springs has that potential um, or that skill level required outside of Andre Rawls. But I'm glad he's doing well, and uh, I miss him. I miss him dearly. It's gonna be like a running thing where I'm gonna say I miss Andre Rawls every week. Definitely, definitely. I, 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 I'm with you. I think many of a many Orange County fans are in that same boat, and they're going to miss Andre Rawls. It's something that, regardless of what we get, unless we were to get some world class keeper on our roster somehow, some way, I mean, I think we're all going to still be like in the in the back of our mind, hoping Andre Rawls somehow makes a return, somehow uh, the club makes it happen. Although I'm realistic, I know it won't happen. I think I, th- I think Dylan should be in charge of the thank you, Andre Tifo. Go for it, Dylan. Yeah, I got a few weeks to get that all sorted out. <laughs> um, a quick thing I just want to talk about. Uh, something that happened to Orange County fans over the weekend. Uh, if you did not listen to uh, our friends at 1868 Weekly, if you haven't read anything on our website, if you haven't been following anyone, uh, any of us on Twitter, 
or social media. Uh, the traveling fans took up some flags. Flags got taken while the fans were celebrating with the Orange County players. Uh, props, mad props, and I'm sure Dylan will give mad props too, to uh, Reno 1868 FC, their um, staff, including team president, uh, the staff and security at Greater Nevada Field, because I, I don't know if the same thing would have happened at Orange County. Nothing against our ownership and our stadium and our security at our stadium. Uh, but what happened is uh, some flags went missing. Uh, of course, it upset the fans that had brought the flags, especially because one of those flags was really, really new. Uh, but the staff, including, again, team president, I think it's Eric what Edelstein or something like that. Um, yes, yeah, so I got it right. Uh, they spent probably a good legit hour while we were there, while Dylan and I were there. I'm sure they did more even after we left, basically trying to rewind security footage, look around the stadium, try to figure out what the heck happened to these flags. Again, flags. It's not like this is a, a wedding ring, a computer, a phone. It's flags. And nothing against the flags. The flags are awesome. But I was just shocked at how much effort they put into it. The effort was all worth it. They found the flags. Somehow they're going to get them back down to the Orange County fans. So I just had to give mad props to Reno1868 FC, uh, their staff, their president. And anyone that we interacted with, they were amazing out there except for – the one or two people that decided it would be fun to mess with Orange County fan stuff. So again, props to, to Reno 1868 FCE's fans, staff, and stadium uh, personnel. What a wonderful place. <laughs> it was awesome. Great I loved alcohol. It. This cute girl that I hit on until she found <laughs> out I was 21. And then I think she was not game, but whatever. The whole we thing need, was a, such a great trip. We need to make it back up there. We need to make it back up there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's end this thing up folks because we're, we're running out of time so we're gonna do what we always do our random thought uh cameron you were with us last week so hopefully you're more prepared for this but just in case you aren't i'm gonna go to the person that knows this is coming every episode first i'm gonna go to dylan to share his random thought so i can give cameron and alan a little bit of time to figure out this. dylan what's your random thought for the uh for the evening uh, my random thought this week is that a hot dog is a sandwich and anything that is a bread product filling and bread product is also a sandwich. So quesadillas can be looped into that as well. Man, is, there, yes. is, there, is there a book on this topic, though, Dylan? I don't know if there's a book on this topic, but rest I'm, assured. I was, expecting, I was expecting you to actually find a book on this topic. For those of you not in the know, this was a conversation at the, at the Reno match. So it is what it is. I'm disappointed that Dylan doesn't have a book about it. I, I read books and I read things that are academic, but I do have some literature <laughs> recommendations anyway, and I can pass these guys some more time. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Tell me again. Tell me again. <laughs> All right, so um, I was actually not a huge fan of this person growing up, but as I've reached an advanced age, I can come to appreciate things a little bit more. Uh, Ray some more. Emily, no. Emily Dickinson's uh, <laughs> poems. I've got a few poems. Most of her stuff is insanely short um poem 202 poem 207 poem 269 poem 339 poem 353 and uh poems 365 and 409 could she not come up with names for her poems what was up what's up with that she was too busy getting it on and living life <laughs> all right um let's go to alan next alan uh do you have a random thought you want to share with our listeners 
Yeah, it's kind of semi-sock related. Um, for those of you who don't pay attention to the uh, major arena soccer league, uh, the San Diego Soccers recently signed Landon Donovan. And uh, today the Ontario Fury uh, announced signing midfielder Jermaine Jones. So uh, if you are looking for some old school United States men's national team guys to go see play, uh, there's some pretty close to you in an indoor soccer league. Uh, and if you haven't gone, check it out. They're super fun. <laughs> uh, they need to bring back the LA Lasers. I don't know. You guys are probably all too young to remember who the LA Lasers were. What about the Anaheim Splash? Or the Los Angeles Salsa. That's the best team name ever. <laughs> it, it definitely is. Um, that should have been your random thought, Cameron. Just just throwing it out there. No, I got a good uh, one. I'm finally going to get one. <laughs> oh, Cameron Scottwood. Cameron, what is, your, what is your random thought for today? Okay, so like I've been seeing this around forums and stuff like that. It's all about the debate of the Eagles in Lord of the Rings. Like, you know where Gandalf is like, fly, you fools. Nerd. But then, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I deserve that one. Uh, but uh, but no, it's just like there's so much debate around it. It's like, you know, people are thinking like, yeah, just they should have flew the Eagles into Mordor at the end of the end. That's it. But I'm just like, no, you you can't do that. Like the eye of Sauron would have would have seen them a mile away and his hell beast would have gone in the Nazgul and taken him out and then he would have gotten the ring. But the thing is, people are still debating. They sh- it's it's. It's blowing my mind that, you know, if Tolkien was like, you know, he flew, if, his, if the Eagles just flew to Mordor, it would have been like, all right, story's over. It's like, it's, it's like Breaking Bad being like, say if there's free, there's like Medicare for all during it, I got cancer. Well, your, your, your insurance covers it. Boom, story's over. So it's like... It's just some. It's just that debate has, been, has just been giving me a headache because some people are just really adamant about just having the Eagles fly to Mordor and having just to omit all of the cool adventures that are going on. So that's the Tolkien in me. Dude, you're more passionate about that than anything I've ever heard. I'm gonna. I, I think for our next for the the next year or this this season's Orange and Black Soccer Cast Awards. We're gonna have an award for the most random random thought, and that's probably <laughs> gonna be one of our one of our ca- uh, options there. I, I just have to say it. Um, Poll start you know, now. Cameron. <laughs> so here's my random thought. Ran, uh, and, and I guess Dylan, you've led me, or not Dylan, uh, Cameron, you've led me to this random thought. Is you talk about I guess eagles flying to Mordor and all that stuff. If all that happened, we wouldn't have had one of the greatest scenes ever in the movie Clerks Two. When oh, Randall that, is that is one. arguing with the Lord of the Ring fan about what the better trilogy is, and Randall's argument is the the movies are all about walking, 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 and to quote the movie, even the trees walk in that movie. Um, so the answer, yeah. the answer, badass. I'm I'm just saying though, if, <laughs> if if the Eagles would have ended up flying the ring, then we wouldn't have had that great scene from Clerks too. So yeah, that'll be my and random thought. Uh, and a guy throwing up in a movies because <laughs> oh, he lost the argument. Yes, yes. Anyway, All thanks right, for I... listening to the Lord of the Rings podcast, <laughs> brought to you by the Orange hey. Black Soccer Cast. You know, if this, even... was a Lord, if this was Lord of the Rings podcast, or if we even market it as as a Lord of the Rings podcast, we're going to have like a thousand more or a million more uh, listens. So maybe we'll have to just 
throw that in there. Now that we talked about it, I can actually tag Lord of the Rings on SoundCloud for this episode, which is awesome. Thanks for the thought, Dylan. And thanks, Cameron, for bringing it up. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> oh, some of you don't get it, I, I, I guarantee. Um, fans, make sure you show up to Championship Soccer Stadium to support your team this Saturday as they uh, host Tulsa. What is it? Tulsa Roughnecks something. I don't know. Um, FC. FC. Yes. So close. I got there. Almost got there. Uh, make sure you show up. Uh, kickoff, I believe, is 7 o'clock. They're going to they're gonna be having, I believe, it's been announced, some happy hour specials before the match. So make sure you head out there uh, and support your team. For those of you listening to us, make sure you check out our website where we are dropping more and more uh, written work for those of you that like to actually read maybe on your lunch break or something at work or if you like to read well don't do it while you're driving don't read but uh, maybe while you're sitting at the doctor's office watching your or waiting for your kid to finish soccer practice whatever it may be uh, check it out alan's contributing to that dylan i'm contributing to that as as well so we're going to try and drop at least a few things a week on there um, check out BGN Beautiful Game Network, BGN.fm, at BGNFM on Twitter for more USL soccer stuff. Uh, Cameron, share with our listeners where they can find you and your work uh, on the internet. Where you, where you find my work at lasoccernation.com. Uh, my Twitter handles at what Cameron said, all one word. And Instagram, you know, simply known as Cam. And that's pretty much it. And yeah, find me. <laughs> and what about you, Alan? <laughs> uh, I just started writing for San Diego Chronicle. Uh, I'm here in San Diego for a NPSL team. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at a Underwood 48. Uh, it's kind of a hodgepodge of comedians and politics and lots of soccer. Awesome. Dylan, do you remember your Twitter handle this week? I do. Thanks, Ray. Um, so you can find <laughs> me at Twitter at OCSE underscore Dylan or on Reddit at OCSE underscore Dylan. Um, and, and that's it. So unique there. Yeah. Um, on brand <laughs> at all times. Uh, you can check me out on my Twitter handle. My personal Twitter handle is at DJ Ray Samora. That's with an S DJ Ray Samora. Uh, you can also follow the orange and black soccer cast Twitter at OCSE underscore soccer cast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, by searching for Orange Black Soccer Cast, follow us on Instagram, which Dylan tends to manage and post pictures about once every couple of months uh, at OCSC underscore Soccer Cast. Uh, for those of you that have been listening since day one, thanks for coming back each and every episode. For those of you listening for the very first time, check back some past episodes to see what you've been missing. I want to thank our guests, Cameron, Alan, and then Dylan, you're always here, so you're not really a guest. Uh, but thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. This is the Orange and Black Soccer Cast. And if I have my music ready, I'll be ready. Yeah, Orange and Black Soccer Cast, and we are out.
Podcasts are a great way for your business to advertise to target audiences. And the Orange and Black Soccer Cast is looking for advertisers like you. If you're interested in advertising your business on our podcast, please email us at info at orangeandblacksoccercast.com. The Orange and Black Soccer Cast has joined forces with many other soccer podcasts, many of them focusing on the USL. We're now part of the Beautiful Game Network, bgn.fm.